0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice
1: America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
0: Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to the second stage with your hosts Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the second stage. We're back here again on a beautiful Monday snowy afternoon in Cleveland, Ohio, with my partner, Jeff Cadlick. Jeff, how you doing? Hello.
3: There, buddy? Uh, I'm doing fine. You know, I, for mentally, I'm actually doing okay for early February in Cleveland. Normally, yeah. I think I'm traveling enough that I'm getting out of here enough that the gray is not completely wearing me down mentally and physically and driving me to drink and do the other things that depressed people do in the middle of winter.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. As I I was shoveling a little snow yesterday in advance of the Super Bowl, and I did find myself not loving um, the snow. Got to be honest <laughs> with you. Got to be honest. We're, with
3: you. You're getting close to retirement age, so I could see how you'd start thinking about being down south. I had my three uh, teenage boys out there with me, and
2: they weren't moving a lot of snow, but they did a lot of complaining. I would use a different word, but uh, I'm you know kind of a uh, kind of keeping it straight on this fine Monday. But uh, yep, anyhow. I, I
3: have- I have a similar predicament in the uh, Catholic household. I understand where you're coming from. So tell me about last week. You and I were both doing a ton of traveling last week. Holy smokes, have we seen a lot of edges of this
2: uh, fine United States of America, haven't we?
3: Yes, we have. All in one uh, week.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. And then you know, the week before that, we were kind of out west and in Chicago. And then I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, to hit Washington D.C. with a group of entrepreneurs. It was uh, you know just always a lot of fun, and got to walk the floor of the Capitol. Got a, had had uh, our own private little escort, which was fun. And it was uh, it's you know it's it, as you know Jeff, it's a neat town, and uh, it's got some good entrepreneurial base. And we uh, we we. Uh, we hypothesize a lot of uh, uh, a lot of entrepreneurial theories over lots of scotch and vodka and kind of creative thinking juices like that
3: and i know how creative you can get when you put all those things together so what was the conclusion
2: well the conclusion was that um, that uh, that uh, passion for possibilities i don't know the conclusion was no honestly that you know it's it's pretty neat you get around those those people uh, you know and there was probably i don't know 15 16 entrepreneurs you know you know the common base was the uh, eo organization and uh, our forum group met there and then invited some of the locals to uh, to join in and you know it really is neat getting around uh, you know the people and 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 that share the the you know the conscious capital purpose capital world and thoughts and just amazing what they're what they're doing and uh, um you know, you sit around and have maybe one scotch, maybe two, and uh, it's just fun how uh, people, you know, can share some ideas and concepts. And not only that, but, you know, just, you know, we found some neat people for us to talk to. You know, whether we can help them or not, they, uh, you know, they, they they love what we're doing. Now, you, on the other hand, Jeff, I, I got to go to, to, to Chile, D.C. You got to go, and and then you got to go out uh, out west, right?
3: Yes, I did. I was, uh, I participated in the Association of Mergers and Acquisitions winter conference in Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, As you know, I had not been there until last week, and given all the movies that I've seen over the years um, about the strip in Las Vegas, I was expecting to be wowed, and I was not. (laughs) I know it was kind of a a cool, cloudy uh, Tuesday in January in Las Vegas, so maybe that was the worst possible time for me to go, but I have to say it wasn't swinging me around the room. And to be honest with you, we were staying off the strip and I didn't go back. I had had enough after about an hour or so wandering up and down and it was time for me to go.
2: Since it was about 18 degrees in DC, I'm not feeling too sorry for you.
3: But yeah, uh, I hear you. I was in shorts. I was in shorts. But one of the so those folks that don't aren't aware of associations of mergers and acquisitions advisors. It is an association of um, folks that are a part of the ex, the buying and selling of relatively small businesses, and uh, their focus is on education and improving the outcomes of. These, uh, the buying and selling of of uh, of businesses with the highest integrity, and it's something that. Uh, Evolution has been a sponsor of, a proud sponsor of, for the past, you know, four or five years. And uh, as a sponsor, you get a booth, but you also have opportunities to speak. And one of the things that they've come up with, uh, instead of Shark Tank, it's called the Piranha Pool. And we're a little less harsh in the Piranha Pool than you see in the Shark Tank on TV. It's real; otherwise, people would never stand up there in front of a hundred people and give their pitch. There's typically four or five hundred people attend the winter conference and the summer conference is probably closer to 750 Um, but about 100 or so are in the audience when we do the piranha pool and uh, it's a lot of fun they don't tell you anything about the companies before you get on uh, stage so you're kind of on your toes this is what we do every day and the idea is to just show Business owners or other um, people that participate in the uh, industry, you know what actually happens and how you should present to uh, private equity folks such as, as as Evolution. And then I got the good fortune of um, taking an overnight to Las, uh, uh, New York, and we saw some institutional investors there. And then we took that that fun six a.m. flight back to Cleveland, which brings me to another point. And you know, I like to complain. And yep. um, so the A kind of trustees were in Washington about the same time that you were, and yep. they were meeting with some regulators about um, about the private equity industry, and they the regulators are very suspicious of private equity. And I said, hey, you know, how could they be suspicious because you know private equity has outperformed every other asset class over the last you know twenty five years? What's the problem? And they, they, must that, they must be cheating. They must be Exactly. Yeah. You're not thinking like a regulator thinks. Yeah. And so they're very, very suspicious about, you know, who uh, is getting screwed over. And I was reminding the Board of Governors how difficult it is to be a private equity professional. And as you know, Brendan, it is a 24-7 operation. Uh, and then every private equity professional I know has a an elaborate home office because you never get away from it. And you got to be able to work when you're at home and in the middle of the night and so on and so forth.
2: Hey, Jeff, I always thought that if you open up a private equity fund, people just gave you money and then people lined up out the door to take it. That's not the case.
3: I always <laughs> no. Thought well, that. they're 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 out there to take your money for sure. Oh. It just depends on uh, oh. how you know the terms of the deal. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll talk about it offline, Brennan. Oh. I'll I'll explain. It to you. Oh, okay.
2: Because I keep waiting for that. I know we've been at this for 20 years or so, but I figure you know I keep waiting for that to happen. Hey Jeff, I was looking at my notes from uh, last week's guest, Brett Palmer, who I just think is a sharp dude, and I was chuckling because when I was in D.C., one of the, we were walking the floor, and we got a uh, we got a tour with a with a with the democrat and he was walking around we were talking about you know what was going to get done what wasn't going to get done and he kind of smirked and said that the tea party on the republican side would basically stop the republicans from getting anything done with the house majority and the senate majority and explained to me the math on it and that kind of tied into some of the things that uh, brett was talking about the different you know the, how how tough it is to get things done you know in this even when you have two uh, to the house and the senate that's pretty, uh, it kind of made me a little sad. I got to be honest with you.
3: Well, I think if you were to poll the entire populace of the United States and the option was continue as we are or fire everybody in Congress and start over, I think you'd probably get a near unanimous vote for the latter. Just saying. Just saying. I just agree. saying. Um, uh, you know, I certainly have my opinions. I try to share them on the show uh, with regard to politics because everyone has their opinions. Uh, but I think that uh, both sides are certainly at fault for uh, the – the. Um, the absolute ineffectiveness of of Washington these days and and Brendan is mech- mentioning last week's uh show was small business in the evolving political landscape with Brett Palmer who's the president of the Small Business Investor Alliance uh Brett is a uh, a Washington participant with a lot of experience uh in Washington and um his role as the president of Small Business Investor Alliance is really a liaison between uh, the small business administration and the investor community and it really keeps his eyes and ears open for things that its members are concerned about, uh, including, you know, small business, uh, but also the private equity angle and a lot of the legislation that is, seems to always be moving through the, uh, the, the, Washington cycle uh, to to control uh, and regulate you know private equity, which they like to do. Uh, today's show, Brendan, is also an interesting show, and, and we have got a. Uh, we wouldn't is, have any other kind, Jeff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. But the, the today's show is the power of strategy with Cayenne Krippendorf, CEO of Outthinker LLC. Uh, I actually have not met Caiyan. I am anxious to meet him over the the uh, the, the show here today. Uh, but Brennan, you have. And uh, uh, what what, is, what how did how did your meeting go with him?
2: Yeah, Cayenne was uh, introduced to us by a friend of the show, Rich Manders. Is uh, you and I both talk very highly of Rich and his ability to kind of really advise uh, CEOs and so forth. And Cayenne is uh, in a, in a similar business. Um, although Cayenne, you know, is he's just a really smart, fast moving, energetic guy that just you know kind of fully understands and gets you know value driven businesses and purpose driven businesses. And uh, he's advised. Uh, he he has that kind of very unique ability not only to work with super large companies. I mean, you're talking like like Microsoft and Nestle and United Technologies and the list goes on and on and on. It's really neat. But he also he has a huge passion for small businesses, and so you know that comes out when you meet with him. And uh, just you know, energetic guy, really you know smart guy. I think he's got 37 or, or 45 degrees. I didn't count them all, but there were a lot of them on his little resume. At least three. Jeff, I may have I may have rounded up. Um, you know, ex McKinsey partner who decided to kind of go out on his own and do stuff. It's uh, as you can tell. In uh, Rich Manders just says absolutely wonderful things about him, and uh, just quite frankly, uh, I am um, mostly through the book. I've read
3: uh, a lot of his work,
2: and it's, um, it's it's very impressive, very impressive.
3: And the book that you're talking about is called Outthink the Competition. And um, uh website <coughs> excuse me, is called www.outthinker, with www.outthinker.com. Uh, he writes one of the most popular blogs on fastcompany.com and is founder of the OutThinker Network, which is a global community of creative innovators. And as Brennan said, uh, through his firm OutThinker, Cayenne helps uh, leading firms, including Red Bull, which as far as I know is doing pretty well, as is Microsoft, uh, Nestle, Purina, L'Oreal, TIA, Kraft, Aetna, Experian, Johnson & Johnson, Citibank, and uh, what I always love is virtually all of our guests are more well-educated and smarter than us, which is important as a attribute for a guest. Uh, he earned, uh, Kyan earned his MBA at Columbia Business School, his BS, which is very important in the private equity world. I have a degree in BS uh, in finance, though, uh, from Wharton Business School and a BS in mechanical engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. So he's uh, working very he just, hard. He just
2: likes school. He just likes school, yeah. I could tell.
3: That's good. That's good. Well, I couldn't have qualified for uh, pretty much any of that. So. Um, Before we take a break here, I want to remind everybody that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear from you in terms of what works and what doesn't. We want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. And you can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. I want to thank our sponsors, McGladry LLP. They're a leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. With that, we're going to take our first break here on the second stage and be back with our guest, Cayenne Krippendorf who can be the CEO of Outthinker LLC can be found at www.outthinker.com. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage.
4: What's happening on the Voice
0: America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America
5: TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting.
0: In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome
3: back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Uh, our guest today... Uh, is Kyan Krippendorf, CEO of Outthinker LLC and the author of a new book called Outthink the Competition. Welcome to the show, Kyan. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for
3: having me. It is our pleasure.
2: Hey, is I, uh, I mentioned uh, earlier in the last segment that uh, you're a uh, you know kind of a you're passionate about business and uh, and strategic planning and growth and all that all that stuff. And we uh, we probably didn't give your background enough justice, but we'll I'm sure they'll be able to figure this out. I uh, we you know you uh, you've written uh, multiple books. The the most the most what recent is- one was. Four books. The most recent one, the one that I have, is outthink the competition. And I love the way you've kind of put it together, uh, and, and obviously, you know, you've been kind enough to share your business cards too, which I think is fantastic. As I was flipping through them, Great. I'd love to maybe have you explain, you know, kind of those four stages of, of, of you know, I use the word four stages strategic planning. You probably have a different one, but maybe kind of walk through, you know, kind of how people you know start outthinking the competition.
4: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I I think I'm, I'm a very, I'm very lopsided in my knowledge. You know, I don't know a lot about recruiting people or managing people. And I studied finance. I was an investment bank. I don't consider myself a finance person. What I'm really interested in is strategy. I just keep returning there. And I figure, you know, the way for me to make a contribution is just to go deeper and deeper and deeper into strategy so that I have something really unique to, to offer. And I think it all comes down to, if you follow any great disruptive company, any highly valuable, profitable company that sustained profitability for a long period of time, it all comes down ultimately to one thing, which is there are a set of options that everyone tells you to take, that everyone says this is the way you do things. There's like three options. And the innovator, the disruptor, the strategist chooses what I call as the fourth option. They choose something that customers love, but that would-be competitors will choose not to copy. And it, 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 it's kind of as, um, as Mahatma Gandhi said. He created this, this disruptive effect. Gandhi said, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And what he's describing is exactly the disruptive process that Clayton Christensen coined when he, just, when he wrote the book Disruptive Innovation, or maybe um, you and your listeners have heard of Blue Ocean. I, I think it all comes down to that, is you do something that others won't respond effectively to, those who would resist you. And by the time they wake up and say, wait a second, that thing's working, it's too late. You've already won.
2: Hey, Kayan, I love some of the examples you give, whether it's you know Tiffany's and Blue Nile, or whether it's you know the Fallsbury flop or whatever. Maybe you know, do a couple examples and just kind of explain how people outthought what was going on.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm teaching a class here in New York at Parsons School of Design, and so you know the course that I'm teaching has a lot of kind of fashion examples. And one one great example I think of this is Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters has grown the last ten years from about five hundred million dollars in revenue to approaching three billion dollars in revenue. Over a five-year period, they're consistently more profitable and higher value generating over a long period of time than their than their peers and consistently. And so, I got to interview the CEO of Urban Outfitters and ask him, "Well, what, How are you doing this? What's your strategy?" And he said things like, "We only care about eighteen to twenty-five year olds." That's our core customer. And if the gap wanted to copy this strategy, they would have to say, we don't care about your pregnant wife. We don't care about your kids. We're not going to sell you a tie. All we care about is 18 to 25 year olds. Right. And so here's a simple choice that really a competitor could copy, but it's too costly for them to copy. Another thing he said is we don't hire from business schools. When I was in Penn, that's where urban outfitters was born out of uh, university of Pennsylvania. And, I, I, t- I, um, I, I, I uh, worked there for a summer, but after graduating, I couldn't get a job there. They only hire from design schools, and they only hire people who have are natural artists, natural aesthetic merchandisers, and they can trust these people to walk into a store. If they walk into work and they see a, an old wooden crate at, on the way to work, and they think, wow, that would look pretty cool in the men's section of my store. They take that into the store and put it on display. Now, what, what happens to the gap manager that shows up at his store with an old, um, with a, with an old wooden crate and says, uh, well, why don't we put this on display? It wouldn't be let in the door. And what you get then is you get a situation where every urban outfitter looks a little different while every gap is consistent. So what you have is you, you populate your business strategy with a few decisions, and they might seem really minor, you know, like... Where, where do we hire from? Um, how do we describe our core customer? Um, what's our operating manual look like? They look tactical, maybe. They look operational, but actually they're strategic because large companies and any competitors will resist copying. The cost of copying that's higher than the cost of not copying that. You know? Um, oh, that's specific. great.
2: Well, I I think you know know, when I kind of in the first couple pages of the book, when you say that you know you talk about how you know people grow rigid, they accept you know a certain way of doing things, and then somebody questions that, and they and they come up with something new, and then you talked about you know they they don't they ignore you, and then they you know kind of you know make fun of you, and so forth. You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, is there and I and I probably you know going. Too deep here, but that's my specialty. When, when you're advising a business, and I realize you're, you know, you've dealt with some very, very large businesses, and you've got a passion for smaller businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there is there a way to help people start thinking about you know what's rigid in their industry? Or I guess I'm kind of yeah. flipping through your cards, aren't I? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, yeah, no. I mean, um, I mean, I love that you use the word rigid because I think that's what it is. It is a there's a process of acceptance that we're not conscious of, that people in your industry, they have found some formula that works pretty well and they start repeating and repeating and repeating that formula. You know, one thing I love about working with people like you who have seen seen businesses across lots of different industries, I mean, if you talk to a private equity expert who is deep into one vertical, you're likely to find that they have a formula in their head and that works in the industry. It's a low-risk formula. But if you talk to a private equity person or an entrepreneur who jumps between industries, you'll see they start saying, well, how could I sell um, steel the way Samsung sells televisions, right? Or how could I sell televisions the way um, a real estate developer develops commercial real estate? And you get to just transfer these patterns. So the way to do that, the way to step outside of this trap of you just think that this is the way you play this game. You play in this industry is to just take examples from other industries. I say, what would it That's be great. like if a company from a completely different industry went into, it? like Amazon? Amazon, right? Amazon is a is a is a retailer, right? A, an online retailer. You know, f- five ten years ago, I'll tell you that Microsoft and VMware and other cloud service software providers didn't expect that Amazon would pose a real realistic threat to them when they were building their cloud businesses, business plans. And Amazon just competes differently. So what you could say is what would it look like for a retailer to come in and compete, but from the point of view of this retailer. And what's beautiful about this is whenever you do something new, there is some risk in it, right? But what you're doing here is you're not really doing something new. You're taking a strategy that's proven to work in other areas And you're applying it into your your area. You're not starting with a complete blank slate. So it reduces some of the risk of trying a new strategy.
2: That's well, interesting. It's interesting as I as Jeff and I kind of travel the country raising capital and, and pitching small businesses on things. You know, it's we love when we walk into the average institutional investor and they say, "Which box should we put you in?" You know, and you're right. like, "Well, I'm not sure any of those boxes really really work." But uh, anyways, that's right. I guess we have to figure out how to explain it to him in another uh, another industry setting. Jeff, you got that? You better. I got there. you. I got okay. you. All right, buddy. All right. Hey, let's. I uh, let's let's move on um, to you know what I'll call the eight P's of or eight yeah. dimensions of disruptive innovation, and maybe kind of talk about how you know as an entrepreneur you can kind of start thinking through these, and and it may help kind of spur some of your you know spur some of the uh, the planning and strategy thoughts.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I found this framework. I'll be honest with you. When I wrote this section of the eight Ps, I had just started developing this. As far, I actually came out of a class that I had been teaching for three or four years. I started working it into my consulting practice. And what I found was um, it is an extremely powerful framework. And, and I don't say that because, you know, I came up with it. It's, you're going to hear it's not, it, it, it sounds like something you've recognized before. Um, but basically it says, hey, there are you might be looking in one or two areas to compete. Like, you know, your business isn't growing. You're thinking, okay, how do I better promote and sell to capture more customers? And what's my brand positioning, right? Because that's what you're thinking about how to grow, right? So we tend to look at these one or two areas. But there's actually, there are at least eight different areas to look at. So you can look at your positioning, your branding. You can look at your promotion and sales. But you can also look at your pricing, you can look at developing new product attributes. You can look at the physical experience of your brand. You can look at your people policies. You can look at your internal processes. You can look into your um, uh, distribution. Um, so you've got product, price, place, promotion, which is in, uh, you know, an 84 4 p marketing framework that people who have gone to traditional business school will probably be familiar with. But you can look. There are four more, which is positioning, internal processes, physical experience, and people. And so it's kind of like a, a way to look in areas that you might not look. And often, the really disruptive idea isn't that they came up with something completely new. It's just that they looked somewhere else. It's like everyone said, let's get some more salespeople and sell some more. And someone said, why don't we change our pricing structure instead, right? So every industry settles in a couple of these P's. And you you can name an industry, and I could suggest which of the P's are the ones that people keep turning to repeatedly. And once you recognize that, then you're free. Because then you can say, okay, then which P's are people overlooking, and what would it be like to compete there? It's like um, there's a Disney quote that I'm starting to incorporate into my speeches, and I don't have it exactly yet, right? But it's something like, the consistent results of Disney are the result of us obsessing over things that others overlook, <laughs> right? And so the eight P's helps you do that.
2: Well, one of the things I love about, about the positioning P is um, – you, you suggest is um, – you know, what, what your target or brand associations, ones, you know, um, basically things that your competitors do not want to emulate. And so right. that, I think that jumps out and maybe talk about that. Cause it, most people would say, well, you know, you know, if I got everything going and wonderful, wouldn't everybody want to be like me? And, and I think that you point out that, uh, that by, you know, that, and, that if you can find something truly unique, they, they can't emulate it without really wrecking their business. Or maybe talk about that, or at least maybe that's how yeah. I interpret it.
4: Yeah, 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 exactly. I think that, um, you know, when we look at positioning, um, many brands just want to be better, cheaper, faster. But everyone wants to be better, cheaper, faster, right? So by pursuing that goal, what you're doing is you're running right next to everyone. I'm good this year. I'm going to get a little bit better, a little bit cheaper, a little bit faster. And next year, a competitor is going to come up with a little better, a little cheaper, a little faster. And so, you know, with PCs, right? PCs for a long time where you competed, what, on weight of your PC um, or like a laptop, hard drive space, and speed, right? So you had a better, faster, and maybe price, right? But w- what did Apple do? Apple said, okay, we're going to compete on different dimensions. We're going to compete on the physical experience of our brand. We're going to overinvest in our um, packaging. We're going to overinvest in our product design to create this beautiful experience. And the beautiful thing is people, competitors didn't think that was important, right? So if you can compete on something, on a dimension and, and choose an attribute that competitors will say, oh, that doesn't matter. Or even better yet, oh, I don't want that. Like take Ikea, Ikea, right? Competitors to Ikea will say, oh, that's cheap furniture, because it breaks down after three years, and it's an inconvenient experience because you have to go there with a piece of paper and spend an hour at an Ikea. And what does Ikea say? They embrace that positioning, but they say, this, is, this isn't cheap furniture. This is commitment-free furniture. You don't, you don't want to be eating off the same table that you bought after college. You want to be eating off of that with, when you have kids, right? So you don't feel guilty yeah. about replacing furniture. And then inconvenient is this is just an empowering way to live. This is like growing your own vegetables and washing your own dishes, right? So that's a great example of taking a positioning that others won't want to emulate.
2: Well, I think I kind of, the other one that I kind of liked when I was flipping through it or the one that kind of stood out was on the promotion side and, you know, it's how to to market, sell, communicate your, you know, your value proposition. And, you know, and and I think the the last bullet point that was, you know, you have a, a radically lower customer acquisition cost yes. i think nobody ever thinks of it that way right i'm i'm unique i'm unique but i still takes me 12 months to land a customer and maybe talk about you know the you know what that means to break through
4: yeah yeah i think that's a, um i mean i think that you guys are a great example of this i mean you get to work with such amazing companies in to a great extent because you have a very different way of Reaching out to and, and connecting with interesting companies, you know, but you take, you know, uh, customer acquisition costs, really simple calculation. You can do this, you know, for this quarter, last year, simple, take this, take all of the money that you have spent to acquire new customers and divide it by the number of customers, new customers that you, that you got for that investment. You end up with dollar per customer. If your competitors have a customer acquisition cost of say $50, and you have a customer acquisition cost of $10, what happens? The first iteration, you get five times as many customers, or you spend only $10 and spending $50. Now, you've got a new customer and you saved money. And now you take that savings and you invest it in more marketing, and now you're getting 100 customers while they're getting 10. And then you invest it again and you're getting 200 customers while they're getting 40, right? And it sets Mm -hmm. you on a different trajectory. And so, what you want to do is you want to do like what Netflix did. When Netflix had to compete with Blockbuster, they couldn't match Blockbuster's spend. So Blockbuster was going to copy the Netflix model, right? And they if they spent money on print and radio and TV, and they're going to blow Blockbuster, Microsoft, I mean, Netflix out of the water. Netflix says, wait, we can't do all that. What is the one thing that we can invest in that will achieve the lowest customer acquisition cost? And they decided to put red coupons in boxes of new DVDs. And if you think about it, that is the perfect, perfect moment. Because you got a DVD, you're thinking DVDs, you're, you're, you're ready to subscribe immediately, right? So they're not wasting money advertising to you while you're driving home, and you get home and you forget about it. And that's one of the key reasons why Netflix was able to beat this much bigger competitor, Blockbuster.
3: Wow. Hey, Kanye, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be back to continue to talk about uh, all the APs and, and move on to some other topics. Uh, um and uh, again, to our listeners here at the second stage, we're here with our guest, Kayan Krippendorfer, CEO of Outthinker LLC, which can be found at www.outthinker.com. He is also the author of a new book called Outthink, The Competition. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage.
1: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
0: Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful Welcome
3: back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Like any form, the show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com or you can email us at the Stage at evolutioncp.com. We're back here with our guest, Kyanne Krippendorf, CEO of OutThinker LLC and uh, kyan let us know that he's got a website that has even more material that would be helpful to our listeners it's kyan.net k-a-i-h-a-n.net and also you can pick up his book Outthink the competition uh we're going to move into a what we're calling the Outthinker playbook and the five strategies that you need to know now
2: and what's and what's really neat is uh K- Kyan's really got like 36. He does a wonderful job of ex- explaining, but these five are the ones that we're going to, you know, that, uh, that we, we got to know now. And Kyan, maybe tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, move early to the next battleground.
4: Yeah, great. Yeah, so, you know, what I do is I study how great strategists talk, because I think if you listen to how people talk, you can tell, you can see how they are thinking about strategy. And I think that there are 36 fundamental strategic patterns, and they all relate to, stuff that we know are the keys to winning in business. And um so what I did for this last book, I looked at a set of 16 companies that were really performing well. Um you know, companies like Amazon and Google and um and Apple and compared them to 16 companies that same size or similar size, same industry, but were underperforming. And I said, how do the winners talk differently than losers? And five things pop up. So the first one is, is straight straightforward. move early to the next battleground. What you see is that companies who are thriving today, they look more frequently at the next battleground. This is the narrative of, I'm here, my competitors are here, I see where the next battleground is, I move there first. This is Wayne Gretzky saying, skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck is, right? I got a chance to interview Elon Musk a year after he launched SpaceX, And I asked him, what happened? You sold sold PayPal, netted, I think, uh, $150 million for yourself, and you decided to invest all of that in building rocket ships. And he said, the first thing that came to his mind without blinking was, I just think a future in which anyone can shoot stuff into space is more exciting than one in which only the government can. But what he's saying (laughs) is that the system doesn't make sense. A new battle is going to emerge. NASA is going to have to privatize that part of the program that's building vehicles and shooting them into space, and he's going to build a strategy to be there early, right? And i got hundreds of examples of this, but this is one thing, that if you're competing with someone who's really good, they're asking this every day. Every day, where's the next battleground? Where's the next battleground? Where's the next battleground in technology trends and social trends and in, 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 in new system or, um, st- structures, new customers, new geographies? And that's one thing that you've got to keep looking for, the next battleground. Wow.
2: That's why you definitely got to work on the business, not in the business, Jeff, because uh, that's – um, maybe uh, coordinate the uncoordinated.
4: That's, uh, that sounds hard to do. Yeah, it, 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 it speaks to a different mindset. So you know, powers always come from coordination. Right? That's why birds fly in flocks, why animals travel in herds, fish run in schools, they all coordinate themselves, right? Now, the old way that you coordinated, the old paradigm was you, you coordinated things by buying and controlling them. You bought employees and you owned them right? You bought manufacturing capabilities and owned it. But increasingly what we're seeing is you can coordinate things and create power without owning them. Um, The the most well-known example today is Uber, right? Uber Mm -hmm. coordinates independent drivers and they're disrupting the old system of owning and controlling taxis, right? Airbnb. Do you know if you go through a drive-thru McDonald's today, You might order a Big Mac, Large Fries, Diet Coke. There's a good chance that that order is being taken by a stay-at-home mom working on her home computer in Utah, and she types in the order, sends it to the store, you turn the corner, your food's waiting for you. They've coordinated um, a certain type of workforce, right? So you can see this all over the place. There's a company that just distributes meat by putting in kind of uh, uh, Zayton Foods, and they'll, 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 they'll show up at a parking lot and... Hundreds of people who have pre-ordered meat will will line up in their cars and then pick up the meat. I mean, this it, it sounds things. it sounds crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, and it works. Remember, well, I was you,
2: uh, the, there's also the, there's also the like website now where you can you, you don't have to go to Hertz to rent a car. You can rent somebody else's car for the day. I mean, I was uh, I was mm. some of the entrepreneurs in DC were explaining that one to me. That's 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 a uh, from from a big company perspective, are they? I, mean, I guess they're doing that too, right? We're trying to coordinate that stuff. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they recognize that if they don't do it ahead of others, then it will get done to them. Like we work with this uh, group at uh, Macmillan Publishing, and they were worried about this coordination of self-published authors, and they said, "Wait, we got to get ahead of this." And so they created. I'm gonna go into this great website, swoonreads.com. S W O O N r e a d s dot com, and if you're a romance, if you're a romance enthusiast, you can go there. You can submit manuscripts, you can read manuscripts, you can vote for your favorite, and it's a whole community for self-published authors. And um, and so you know they they coordinated what otherwise would have been coordinated against them.
2: All right, let's go to number three:
4: uh, force two front battles. Yeah, this one's a little bit hard to get, but um, remember we talked in the last segment about Amazon and Amazon going into offering cloud services, we've seen companies do that kind of thing more often. They say, they say, what do we have? What assets can we leverage and project them into new areas? Um, like Amazon said, well, we have servers. We can take payments. We can manage inventory, track shipments, manage websites. All of stuff. Why don't we package all that? Because we can't really grow that much more. No, there's no easy growth in retail. We're already so strong there. What if we package all that and offer it as a service to small businesses? And they created Amazon Web Services. We're seeing companies expand. Though. Why is Google in robots? Why is Google in your home? Um now these companies are expanding without changing their business model fundamentally. And what you've got to recognize is that winners today less often define themselves by their industry. They define themselves by something else that gives them the flexibility to stretch into new industry. So what you might ask yourself is if we're not in the industry we say we in we're our capable we're defined by something else, what else would we do?
2: Hmm. That's uh that's pretty, I'm trying to trying to think of evolution's uh, second battlefront Jeff you got that one figured out yet? Um, Not yet. No, it's that's, that's it actually Waiting. though is it, it is it is fun to to just sit there and while you're talking to dream about those things because it does you know it does open your mind. Um, how about
4: number four? Be good. Yeah, this has to do with just you know the strategic power of being good. We're seeing companies recognize that you don't you don't just make money and give it away. That's not the way that you know that's not how you get strategic value. What you what you do is you align your business model with something uh, with with uh, with with actually doing good by doing what you do. Like my wife works at Mastercard, and I'll tell you, she is more engaged in her work today than she has been in five years, and it's because. Mastercard has authentically and completely aligned itself behind the idea that they do good in the world by taking cash out of the system. What the CEO says is, we, "We, as far as I know, no one's paid for drugs using a credit card. The less cash we have out there, and I don't care if it's Mastercard, Visa, American Express, or Discover, the the more good we do." We see the emergence of new business models, like this this company called. Um, uh, best doctors, and they help people great, create second opi- get second opinions. They save lives from people who are about to have surgery that they don't need, and they've got a really cool method to get the right opinions to them. But their CEO's not afraid to admit that he makes something like 30% gross margins doing that, that they're growing at 40% a year, that they want to be a billion-dollar company, because the more they grow, the more good they're doing. So that's what you want to look at is how can you align your business model fundamentally with doing good in the world? Because then you've got no competition. Everyone wants you to win. It's just smart business. That's,
2: I like it. Um, and number five, create something out of nothing.
4: So create something out of nothing is interesting because it plays on the fact that we tend to fo- play the game of business following this rule. And the rule says you've got to play with the pieces on your board. Like, you can't take a queen out of your back, 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 back pocket and put it next to my king. Most of the games we play have this rule. You can't add another football player to the football field, right? Um, mm-hmm. But in business, you can. You know, Igvar um, Campbrad, he was a furniture salesman, right? And he would just rent a, da- a table at a furniture conference and sell furniture. But he was such a good furniture salesman that his competitors all ganged up on him and said, let's not invite Igvar to the next conference, and so what did he do? He created something out of nothing. He created his own furniture conference. He rented a convention hall, put up tables, sold furniture, but he didn't let them rent a table from him. And we all know how that turned out. That became IKEA. IKEA is just a furniture conference that happens every day, and Igvar owns all the tables. You know, this is Bull creating the energy drink. This is Gatorade creating the sports drink. That's the pattern.
2: I like it. So a little, uh it was, it was, we
4: uh, <laughs> kind.
3: Every once in a while, we have a guest on the show that's so much smarter than us. We're really not sure how to respond.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I just, it's, it's good though. I just, re- I just repeat myself. Ask me about anything else, I'll, just, <laughs> yeah, I'll <be> All <laughs> right,
2: I, I, it is our last little topic here? I want to talk about a simple approach to turn crazy ideas into winning moves. Or yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, so you'll take your ideas. You ask those five questions. You look at those five patterns. You'll come up with 50 ideas, and then you're going to end up with four different types of ideas. You're going to end up with some waste of time ideas, some tactics, some winning moves, and then you're going to end up with the really juicy ideas or the crazy ideas. The innovative ideas, disruptive ideas are disruptive because – they're inconsistent with some prevailing logic or belief. Your competitors are going to look at you and they're going to laugh at you and they're going to ignore you just like um, Gandhi said because they think it's a dumb idea. And so what you do is you break it down. You say, what are the three reasons why this is dumb? And what if those reasons were actually not true? How could I disprove that reason or how could I remove that? The example that I usually use for this is this company called Bandwidth.com out of um, Raleigh, Durham, created by a guy named David Morgan, And he built this company, $150 million technology company. And he says, I'm, I, we could create a phone that practically gets free phone calls because it routes them through Wi-Fi. And, but when he comes up with it, there are reasons why this is a crazy idea. First, you have to build handsets. Two, you have to provide customer service to consumers. And they're a B2B company. And third is there's a risk of people not being near Wi-Fi. Now, what most people would do and what what everyone's done, what Apple's done, what Samsung's done, what LG's done, what Motorola's done is just throw that idea out. It's not doable. But they figured it out. They sat with it. And they took each of those and said, how could we remove that barrier? And uh, they launched Republic Wireless last year, $19 a month, unlimited data, talk, text, I don't get any uh, commission for sending people there, by the way. (laughs) But um, it's a great example of what Albert Einstein said. He said, it's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I sit with problems longer than others. And I think that's all you got to do. you got to take that crazy idea and sit with it and ask, really, 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 why is this not possible? And be creative in how you execute it.
2: It's funny, though, because you, you think about little kids and then how you start explaining to them the world that you can do this and you can't do that, and they just keep going, no, why, why, why? And I guess as old people, we just start saying, okay, I've been told this for enough times. It must yeah. be true.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's easier to accept something is not possible than to challenge a belief that we hold because that belief just has worked for us, and we don't want to be on the shaky ground of, oh, my God, wait, maybe this isn't true. You know? And said. that creates the opportunity for the person that's willing to sit and be, think a little disruptively. It's not hard to do.
2: Well, Kyan, we we like the way you're thinking. We look, you know, we like the way you're thinking. No, I can tell you guys. Hey.
4: Sometimes,
3: but we're going to have to sit with problems longer. I think I wrote that down. That's a good idea for us. Uh, But, can I I certainly appreciate you being on the second stage, and I think our listeners got a lot out of the the call as well. Uh, For those out in the second stage following, please go to Kayan.net, k a I H A N dot net. Uh, he, uh, Kyan, our guest, is the CEO of Outthinker LLC. It can be found at www.outthinker.com. And you can get a lot more out of this uh, meeting if you go buy Kyan's book, Outthink the Competition. Uh, Kyan, thank you again for being on the second stage, and we look forward to keep tracking your progress.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me. Great opportunity. Our thanks pleasure. And thank,
3: thanks for tuning thanks. in to the second stage
2: in real estate, stocks, annuities,
5: and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business, the same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting.
0: Thanks for coming back to the second
3: stage. I'm here with Brendan Anderson, and this is Jeff Kadlick. Uh, I tell you, I really love uh, hearing about strategy and strategic uh. things, and Cayenne and gives you this framework to think about strategy, which I find very, very useful.
2: I got to tell you, there, there are times where he's talking, and I'm just writing down not only strategy for evolution, but our portfolio partners and uh, um and it, it's just it's just really or our partner companies I apologize Jeff um, you know it, it's just it's pretty neat stuff and very few entrepreneurs really get to the point where they can stop and think about those things um, Kyan in his uh, in his book and some of the things he teaches actually has 36 different things that you can think about to help jog your memory and kind of drive your, your uh, strategy and it, it, you know as you kind of read through them it's everyone is like wow that's pretty good thinking and you know they may not relate to every single business but it does it does really you know force you to stop and think about what the things you can do. Pretty neat. Pretty neat stuff.
3: What's pretty interesting, though, he has a stack of cards, like playing cards, right? That he uses as a as a tool. Yeah, no, it is.
2: It's it's pretty neat. It starts out and goes through the Ps. Um, it talks about you know, it talks about the the framework. You know, those four framework things. It goes through the Ps, and then it he's got thirty six things that really try to kind of drive. You know, make you stop and think. What you, what can you do different that nobody else really wants to do that adds value? And you know, Jeff, I hate to always talk about us, but here goes. Um, You know, we we get told over and over again that it's it's crazy to invest in small businesses, and and the multiple of reasons why why it doesn't work. And uh, um, and we, you know, we we can take some of the things we talked about there, and it, uh, it. it's exciting. It gets me all excited, Jeff. The passion for the possibilities, this makes it kind of a little more, little more framework around our possibilities.
1: A
3: little more real. You know, I yeah. agree. I mean, I think that one thing that we have done with Evolution is get people to think about uh, investing in and per- partnering with small businesses in a different way. And relative to the traditional private equity thinking and methodology, it is different. And when we talk to people, it does take them some time to wrap their minds around how we support our partners.
2: Yeah. And I think that we, as people challenge us with that, it makes us better. And we go back and we always call it the evolution of evolution and always look for a better way, which is one of our core values. And it does, you know, forces you to figure that stuff out, which is, this uh, is, which is exciting. Gets you up out of bed
3: every day, you know? Right. So what was your favorite thing, uh, that Cayenne talked about? Mine was, Which P's do industries focus on and then consider focusing on P's that they don't focus on in terms of coming out with that breakout strategy?
2: Well, I mean, I love the concept of trying to figure out what nobody else would really want to to to, to emulate or duplicate. And I also, quite frankly, the thing that, that we that you and I keep talking about, which I love, is you know figuring out your cost of acquisition. And and if you can figure out the fact that your you know your cost of acquisition is dropping because you've got a unique message, you've got you can you can find the person the company you're looking for. That's pretty exciting. And quite frankly, it's something that you know, we talk a lot about with our with our partner companies, right?
3: No, it is. It is. And that's actually a very important concept in in venture uh, to scale your business. And obviously, the lower the cost, the quicker you can grow. It was it. Uh, we we were
2: you know reading in, in the venture world that you know fundamentally th- that that you've got to be able to get your customers in – was it six to nine months and that your cost of ex- acquisition should be you should be able to generate at least nine times that in revenue with a great gross profit margin to justify that and you start you start putting that that math together together and you can start saying wow I now understand why people track that stuff that's pretty neat.
3: <sighs> I agree. And we hope that everyone else on uh, the listening audience agrees as well. You can join us again next week, Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We're going to dive into another uh, entrepreneurial topic about best practices. Thank you for tuning in for The Second Stage, and have passion for possibilities, everybody.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Kadlik and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.